Hey, Crypt Keepers, I want to tell you about our exciting new affiliation with Parabox. Parabox is a t-shirt subscription box with a twist. Each month, you will receive a new paranormal soft style tee and info card about that month's theme. The shirt and card will contain clues to finding a hidden password for use on their website. You'll also find clues to next month's theme. Correct entries get entered in a raffle for free gear. The shirts are unique. They're pretty dope with designs about all your favorite paranormal stuff like Black Eyed Kids, Bigfoot, Nazca Lines, and a really cool Battle of Los Angeles tee. That's one I'm hoping I will get here sometime soon. The designs are silk screened onto a soft style tee that's super comfortable. From the moment you open your pair box, you'll be so engrossed by the t-shirt, you'll forget there's a puzzle built into it. That's right, each shirt contains a secret password. It can be in the form of codes, ciphers, riddles, numbers, images, or other hidden gems. Have fun exploring the design and putting the pieces together to figure out where to go next. Get your exclusive link in the show notes, and we get a little kickback when you sign up for the box, so you can support the show while getting cool swag with mysteries in the process. Good evening, Crypt Keepers, and welcome to another episode of Cryptique, your 100% free window into the paranormal, conspiracy theories, hidden history, forbidden knowledge, and so much more. We ask that you like, subscribe, and share on your social media. Click that Parabox link in the show notes to find out about an amazing t-shirt mystery subscription service. What are we talking about tonight, Ryan? Tonight we are talking about Portlock, Alaska. Portlock is a ghost town in the U.S. state of Alaska located on the southern edge of the Kenai Peninsula around 16 miles south of Seldovia. Not Sokovia, for you Marvel fans. Seldovia. (laughs) It, It is located in Port Chatham Bay, from which an adjacent community takes its name. Uh, Named after Nathaniel Portlock, the town was an active cannery community in the early 20th century, particularly specializing in salmon. In 1921, a United States post office opened in the town. The population largely consisted of Russian Aleuts. Around the 1940s, it was reported that several doll sheep hunters had disappeared in the hills outside Portlock. It was also stated in a 1973 article from the Anchorage Daily News that dismembered bodies of some of the missing had washed ashore in the lagoon. These events led the residents of the community to flee en masse, and the town's post office officially closed between 1950 and 1951. Many villagers blame the unexplained deaths and disappearances on a Bigfoot-like creature referred to locally as Nantanak. Most of the people who fled Portlock in the 1940s moved to the nearby native Alaskan villages of Nanwalek and Port Graham. The village of Nanwalek still maintains private ownership of Portlock today. In recent years, the community has considered the possibility of re-establishing Portlock as a village. As we mentioned before, Portlock was located adjacent to another community known as Port Chatham, which takes its name for Port Chatham Bay. Seldovia sounds like a like a skater or something, you know, like... <laughs> Marina Seldovia scored a nine on her triple axle. (laughs) Yes, you're right, actually. Seldovia is located 16 miles north of Portlock and was a chromite mining camp in the early 20th century. 
Orlock first appeared on the 1940 U.S. Census as an unincorporated village of only 31 residents. It would not report again on the census until 1980 when it was made a census-designated place again reporting 31 residents. So that's interesting. Mm -hmm. It was dissolved as a CDP by the 1990 census and has not reported again. So CDP, census-designated place. Yeah. So do you want to talk a little bit about Alaska? Yeah, I mean, Alaska is amazing, right? It's got everything that you could possibly want in an outdoor playground. Um, Obviously, Alaska is the largest state in the United States. Everybody in Alaska can probably do all the stuff we talked about on the uh, Donner Party thing, where they just make an axle out of a tree and build cabins and ferries and stuff. They're very, very self-sufficient and hardy people you know the the tribes that were up there and the uh europeans that are there now so it's a pristine wilderness in most places and it's filled with natural resources in untamed lands but with the isolation and the vast areas free from human habitation comes its fair share of spooky stories and unexplained happenings one of them is from the portlock village about 125 miles south of Anchorage. Nobody lives in Portlock now. In the 1940s, the village was abandoned after the occupants were attacked and in some cases brutally killed by something which came from the woods. The stories of what attacked the small salmon canning settlement mostly revolve around a large and hairy beast that haunted the dark spaces beyond the tree line at the edge of the village. Whatever it was, it was extremely aggressive and deadly to anyone caught out on their own. Ryan, what was this creature? That is still to be definitively proven. However, the locals had a name for it, the Portlock Sasquatch. Portlock Sasquatch. I kind of like the cadence that. I do too. It kind of sounds like a a nice restaurant, like a, come on into the Portlock Sasquatch and get your canned salmon. (laughs) Yeah. Next bar I open, that's going to be the name of it. (laughs) (laughs) so as we said something happened to the village Uh, sasquatch more commonly referred to as bigfoot in the united states is perhaps the most famous cryptid in history apologies to nessie stories of the giant bipedal man ape wandering the vast forested territories of the americas have been around for centuries however these stories generally paint a very different picture to what happened to portlock Bigfoot is almost always reclusive and shy, avoiding human contact at all costs. Although the sheer size of this beast draws stories of aggression and danger, it is mostly known through the traces it leaves behind, hair snagged on foliage, and of course, its big footprints. Which is not to say that North America does not have dangerous animals, which exist beyond a doubt. Bears, wolves, and big cats roam the continent, and the people who settled at Portlock to make a life for themselves would have been tough indeed. The village established by Royal British Navy Captain Nathaniel Portlock in 1787, although I think we said 1786 before, was in an unexplored and wild part of the country. It was a true frontier of America and only the hardiest would survive. Salmon was plentiful in the bay and a cannery operation was established, attracting seasonal workers and bringing in money. The first of the strange occurrences started in 1905 when people from the village were harassed by a large animal which bothered their camps in the night. Complaints about me. Complaints about me in high school, <laughs> harassed by a large animal, bothering camps in the night. Uh, the work continued in the next season, 
and the cannery workers came back, but the issue remained and whatever was out there returned as well. In addition, various groups of gold miners and hunters used to head into the mountains for their work. Some of them never came back, but accidents were not uncommon and nothing was proven until 1931. In that year, a local woodchopper alone in the forest was found murdered. The man had been killed by a single ferocious blow, far more devastating than could have been inflicted by a single human being. The incident was scary enough to traumatize the entire village. Well, you talked a little bit about how Bigfoot, Sasquatch, whatever, is mostly shy and reclusive. Mm -hmm. That has pretty much been... Now, there, there's a story about Ape Canyon where people were in a cabin and they had, you know, like big boulders thrown, smashing the cabin up. But other mm -hmm. than that, it's pretty much all like just trying to get out of there, like stepping behind trees and, you know, trying to disappear. It's very rare. There is a video of a, a Bigfoot allegedly tearing a tree out of the ground and throwing it. But for the most part, it's been you know, just trying to get away. Yeah. Or maybe vocalizations trying to scare you away, something like that. Yeah. And they'll do things, you know, that are common in other ape species. Like we see uh, chimpanzees and gorillas, you know, tear a branch off like a big branch and shake it violently to try and kind of scare people away. But this is the only case I know of that claims that a Bigfoot Sasquatch type creature, which let's be honest, if you're going to be that a, a big hairy creature, Alaska would be a great place to be. So the setting makes sense, but the actions of this creature don't fall in line with, you know, whether you believe in Bigfoot or not, when you hear all the stories that I've heard, they don't really fall in line. But what does fall in line is like a grizzly bear. They don't give a shit about you. They'll come and eat your fish or, or whatever. But we'll get into some of that later on. But I just thought it was interesting that this is really the only story I know of where Bigfoot is accused of actually murdering people. Yeah. So what was out there? The murdered man was only the first sign of an unknown threat in the woods surrounding the village. A group of hunters out stalking moose came across giant footprints from some mysterious animal. The area around the footprints was torn up with tree branches destroyed and blood found at the scene. But the trail of the moose ended abruptly here and of either animal there was no sign. The size of the found footprints was more than 18 inches long. And before we move on, it's common and it's it's been proven that bears frequently will step their back foot into kind of the back of the track of their front foot which creates a what sometimes looks like a bigfoot print i believe in bigfoot i think they're out there for sure but i also can't turn away from the evidence and it could very easily have been a big bear that was, you know, stepping in its own tracks, which made the tracks appear to look human-like and huge. So, Whatever had attacked the moose, it was the only set of tracks leading from the site of the attack, until they were lost in the rock-filled terrain. Soon, other such footprints were reported around the village, and worse. We're talking 
usually about deer when we're talking about Bigfoot. If you believe that these creatures are between, you know, seven and sometimes 15 foot tall, weigh up to 1200 pounds. Yeah, they could carry a deer off, no problem. But there's no information on if this was an adult moose, if it was a male moose. But I don't see even a 1200 pound, 15 foot tall Bigfoot carrying off a full grown moose. All right. So, and worse. A resident of the village happened to see a huge and hairy man destroying the fish wheels used to process salmon. I don't understand how salmon processing worked in the early 20th century, so I'll assume this was impressive. Uh, And it was described as looking like a devil. Uh, The fish wheels were near the beach, away from the witness's shack. The resident rushed to get his gun, and when he returned, he saw the beast staring at him. Then it suddenly walked away without harming this resident. So... There's another instance of seeing a creature like this and, you know, it, it kind of being a little aggressive, but not attacking someone. And it would make sense that these things aren't stupid. They know if they start killing people that people are going to come looking for them. Right. Were the sightings regular? The sightings became common and uneasiness began to prevail in the village. These were not people who were easily scared by wildlife, and furthermore, they would be well aware of local predators in the area. This could not be some bear, or else they would have identified it as such. This was something else. And then bodies started appearing around the village. Many were washed into the bay from the rivers that fed it, suggesting the people, trappers and miners, had been surprised and killed in the hills and forests above Portlock. As the local population started recovering bodies, speculation regarding the deadly beast started to arise. I I think we should uh, clear up that when we say above Portlock, we're talking about like mountains, basically. Elevation, yeah. Yeah. So we're not talking about south. We're talking about elevation. Well said. Go ahead. Fear took root in the population at the loss of so many lives and people started to leave the village. The cannery plant posted armed guards to attempt to keep the cannery open, but it was of no use. The last residents fled in 1950, and the village lay abandoned. Whatever lived in the woods above Portlock and whatever had killed all the people, it had won. Teddy Roosevelt, the 26th president of the United States, wrote stories of his childhood that include an encounter with a man named Bauman, a seasoned trapper in Idaho. Bauman told of an encounter with a huge hairy creature which attacked him. He barely escaped with his life, and he was convinced that it was a Bigfoot. Roosevelt also wrote an account of the finding of the trapper's body. We'll talk more about that after a quick break. Welcome back, Crypt Keepers. I don't know. it's, It's just one of those things. Like, if, if there's a creature like this and i know they carried you know high powered weapons they they weren't like back there with a you know a 380 trying to shoot this thing but if if something is that big and it attacks you i don't know i mean i, I think you're kind of fucked yeah such stories although consistent with the accounts from portlock only allow speculation as to what happened in the alaskan settlement They fit the facts, but require the existence of a sustainable population of huge apes, sharing a landmass with hundreds of millions of people without a single piece of concrete evidence as to their existence. Which, 
it's always presented like that. There is a lot of evidence. We don't have a Bigfoot in a zoo, but when we see tracks of a, a mountain lion, we don't say, oh, that's bullshit. There's, there, it's accepted that what laid those tracks was a mountain lion. And whether you think that there's mountain lions in Missouri or not, when you find mountain lion tracks, it's kind of hard to deny. You know, it's not going to be mistaken as like from a bobcat or something like that. So, well, we also are still finding uncontacted tribes, right? There's people. There's still groups of, yeah, there's still groups of humans out there who none of us have encountered and they haven't encountered any of us. They, they have cultures we don't really understand languages. We don't understand. There's a lot of credible videos and photographs. There's a lot more bullshit, but there is also a lot of credible stuff. Now I am so sick of seeing on my Facebook page. Oh, this person got a picture of a Bigfoot, and it's like from, you know, a hundred yards away at night taken with an iPhone and it's like what kind of looks like might be a reflective eye or something like that. It and that is I have to wonder if some of it isn't just controlled opposition. Like, hey, let's put these out so people will think anybody that talks about a Bigfoot, Sasquatch, Yeti, Yowie, whatever is gonna look stupid and they're going to it kind of like we talk about, you know, with conspiracy theory that you know, thought canceling, uh, phrase it's really, there's been a lot of people that have just gone out of their way to, you know, personally attack people that have had experiences with these creatures. And by the way, if you don't know about the, I think it's called the Sasquatch genome project by Melba Ketchum, she was a well-respected uh, scientist and she decided, hey, I'm going to try and see what this is. So send me all your DNA stuff. And she has found DNA mostly through hair that, if I remember correctly, shows a human lineage and an unknown primate lineage in the same DNA. But of course she has been berated, attacked, and basically had her character slaughtered to try and make it sound like she has no kind of scientific background or anything like that. So in any case, the evidence of Sasquatch would be more than enough to send many men to the electric chair because I've done so many stories about People, you know, that are put to death based on eyewitness accounts. I saw this man go into this house. Well, okay. I mean, if you're going to be able to sentence people based on eyewitness testimony, then you can't have it both ways. You know what I mean? Now, certainly there's room for mistakes. Of course, you see a black bear in a tree. Maybe it doesn't look like a bear. Maybe you think, oh God, it's a Bigfoot. Maybe some people don't know bears can climb trees like a motherfucker. So <laughs> for some, this is a step too far. But the events at Portlock are not so easily explained. Something was killing the inhabitants and leaving their dismembered corpses to be found by the villagers, washed up on the banks of the bay or out in plain sight, left where they had been killed. 
This does not match the behaviors of many known wild animals. Bears are certainly large and strong enough to do the damage seen by the villagers and would be attracted by the salmon canning plant, but the footprints and eyewitness accounts dispute this. Again, referring back to the fact that a bear can step in its own tracks and leave a human-like footprint. The people of Portlock knew what a bear looks like, and this was no bear, which I agree with, but, you know, whatever. Wolves would not attack healthy humans in daylight for almost any reason, and big cats would also slink away into the forest rather than dismember human beings. I don't know if that's true or not. I, I mean, it looks to me like when a, a, you know, any kind of wild cat or even a domestic cat attacks something and kills it, they kind of tear it apart right there. You know, we see uh, leopards carry things off into trees and stuff like that, but uh, I mean, I don't know. What What do you think? I I really don't know about that behavior either. I agree with you. Like, they don't usually kill anything and just leave it behind. There would be no point. Yeah, I mean, maybe. The only thing I would think is maybe, you know, wild animals who know about human behavior mm -hmm. might realize that we tend to travel in groups. Yeah. So if one did make a kill, it might leave it to see if there are any other humans around that might be a problem. Yeah. But I have no idea. That's really, that's a far reach yeah. for me to speculate. If it was a sick animal, you know, there, you know, it had rabies or something like that, you know, who knows what kind of behavior, distemper, something like that, you know, that could account for kind of the strange behavior. But mm -hmm. uh, what can be said for sure about the attacks? The creature from the scant eyewitness accounts was large and covered with hair, just like me, apart from my <laughs> head, because I shave. <laughs> it left large tracks which matched a human's foot of great size. It was strong enough to kill and dismember a grown man, and it lived in the remote wilderness of the northern American continent. Sounds like a Bigfoot to me. What's next? Uh, next, we are going to be reading a little bit from Framing Nantanak. Yeah. Yeah. Alaska's best known cryptid homicide case debunked by Darren Smith from April of 2021. As a child, I read a story written by Teddy Roosevelt of a seasoned trapper named Bauman in Idaho, who narrowly escaped certain mutilation by what he was convinced was a Bigfoot. His partner was not so fortunate. Apparently, the season prior to this encounter, a trapper's body had been found torn to bits and partially eaten by an unknown beast which left enormous human foot tracks in its wake. But that didn't deter these rugged trappers. After a day of setting traps, they returned to find their camp ransacked and their lean-to destroyed by what was thought to be a bear, but the footprints were not left by any bear. Upon further investigation, his partner remarked, Bauman, that bear has been walking on two legs. They continued nervously preparing dinner and slept a few hours. Around midnight, Bauman was startled by a noise and sprung up in his cot. I bet he did. <laughs> <laughs> he was instantly struck by a wild beast stench and saw the outline of a huge body in the darkness at the opening of their lean-to. I'm going to start carrying a marker with me in every stall I use. I'm going to write wild beast stench in. <laughs> Enjoy my wild beast stench. That's my new tagger name. Wild beast stench. <sighs> Roosevelt writes, Grasping his rifle, he fired at the vague, threatening shadow, but must have missed, for immediately afterwards he heard the smashing of the brush 
as the thing, whatever it was, rushed off into the impenetrable blackness of the forest and the night. After a couple more days of empty traps and sleepless nights, the men decided to break camp. Bauman volunteered to retrieve the remaining traps while his partner was to get the packs readied. The horrified trapper returned to his camp to find his buddy mangled. His body was still warm, but the neck was broken, while there were four great fang marks in the throat. And we have no reports that I know of of a Bigfoot Sasquatch that actually has like fangs, like the four sharp canines that we see in cats and bears and wolves and stuff. And I, it also makes me wonder, are these things closely related to us enough that it would be considered cannibalism? Because we've heard about giant cannibals, right? And we'll do a story at some point on the Kandahar giant, which is a pretty amazing story. And there were other, you know, redhead giants in, I believe it was the Grand Canyon. This Native American tribe forced them back into a cave and then basically, you know, lit everything on fire and killed them. But this is being hidden from us. But it makes me wonder after the Donner Party, do these things know like, well, if we eat them, we could get sick. So, oh, maybe the footprints of the unknown beast creature printed deep in the soft soil when told the whole story. Roosevelt continues, Bauman utterly unnerved and believing that the creature with which he had to deal was something either half human or half devil, some great goblin beast, abandoned everything but his rifle and struck off at speed down the pass, not halting until he reached the beaver meadows where the hobbled ponies were still grazing. <laughs> Mounting, he rode onwards through the night until far beyond the reach of pursuit. The history of this alleged creepiest place in Alaska is indeed remarkable. It's a real live or dead ghost town with tales of Sasquatch-like creature terrorizing the locals. There were reports of dozens of missing and murdered cannery workers. There are also stories of a ghostly white-faced woman screaming and moaning, wearing a long black dress, levitating and appearing out of the cliffs. So that has nothing to do with a big... Evidently, in the 1920s, stories started popping up around the Kenai Peninsula about weird happenings in Port Chatham. There were wild tales of a creature said to walk on two feet, haunting the nearby Chromium mining camp. There were also reports of trees that were completely ripped out of the ground, turned upside down, and thrust back into the ground with their roots facing up into the air. Then there was a report of a mysterious death in 1931, a logger named Andrew Kamluck. It appeared that he had been hit over the head with a huge piece of logging equipment, something that a man could not have lifted and swung. When they found his body, there was blood on the crane, and he was a good ten feet from it. It looked as if someone or something picked it up, smashed him over the head, and tossed the heavy piece of equipment aside. In the 1940s and over the next 20 years, up to three dozen grossly mangled bodies had turned up along trails, rivers, as well as floating out in the bay. These bodies were said to be completely mutilated and essentially torn to shreds, not resembling anything that a bear or wolf could or would do. And I take a little issue with that because I know that they know what bear and wolf kills look like, but there's no way to say that, oh, this this mangled body wasn't done by a wolf or a bear or whatever, even if it was killed by something else, it could have been torn apart by a, you know, a predator or whatever. Yeah. Or just 
partially torn apart by some kind of animal and then on the you know ride down the stream yeah from the mountain into the bay broken bones what's gonna happen yeah cannery workers refused to come to work one season and were begged to return the following season with promises of armed guards protecting the camp around the clock hunters tracking moose would occasionally come across giant man-like tracks over 18 inches in length one reports that while closing in upon a moose there were signs of a struggle where the grass had been matted down then only the deep tracks of a man-like animal departing toward the high fog-shrouded mountains In 1949, the locals grew sick and tired of living in fear of this terrorizing Sasquatch, so overnight they fled the town completely, leaving behind all of their possessions. What could have caused them to leave such a beautiful area, the home of their ancestors rich with sustainable resources? Could it be true? Could there really be a serial killer Sasquatch just a short hop from Anchorage? That is a great band name. Oh my god. Serial killer Sasquatch. (laughs) Mm. Mm, chef's kiss that. <laughs> Sally Ash is of Russian Aleut descent. She has lived in Nanwalek for most of her life and continues to speak her native language. Sugtistan? <laughs> no. Her native have to language. Know <laughs> that we can't pronounce this. It is spelled S-U-G-T apostrophe S-T-U-N. Sugtistan. That's so wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, her mother was born in Dogfish Bay near Port Chatham. In the article, she tells Darren Smith, Our people were nomadic, went by the seasons. Whatever was in season, they would move from one place to another. They went through Port Chatham, Dogfish Bay, Seldovia, Homer, even to Kodiak. Portlock was kind of a creepy place, she admitted. They tell us, don't go out on a foggy day. That's when he's walking around. You could run into him and you never know what he might do. The he that she is talking about is their local form of Sasquatch known as Nantanak. Nantanak is not your typical everyday Sasquatch brute. Nantanak is more of a supernatural being. I think he's part human, Sally describes. He lived with people and then didn't want to be around them anymore, so he moved to the forest, away from everybody. He started growing hair and he looked like a Bigfoot. Scary. My uncles, my grandfathers, they all talked about him. They tell us they live far away from people. They don't mix with people. My brother went up to the lake. He was tying off his skiff. He started smelling something really bad in the bushes, so he opened it, moving the branches. Something's going on here. Then he looked in there, and there was a man with his hands in the back way, or turned around. It looked like a man, but he was all hairy and looked really scary. So he and our cousin took off running and didn't want to be up there. He wasn't sure if it was a Bigfoot, but there was a horrible smell, she said. Darren asked Sally if she thinks that Nantanak is a he, a solitary Nantanak, or was there a clan of them? I think it's a he. He's been living for a long time, Sally says. He's old. He's tall. He's strong. He's hairy. You know, I know I'm a rough customer, but she doesn't have to describe me this way. <laughs> well, I think uh, Vince McMahon is up there looking for him like, hey, you want to be the champ? come on down to wwe oh my god (laughs) it lives in the woods and you can tell when he's getting near you can smell him my mom used to talk about it a lot she'd tell stories of the bigfoot like in the dogfish area her and her brother would talk about how bigfoot was around they were getting too close to him and they would be nice to him 
Respect him, keep distance. They live with him, but not so close. He moved around. He was quick. Sally served as translator for her cousin, Melania Kell, during her historic interview for the Homer Tribune in 2009 that has since taken the Bigfoot-believing world by storm. So that was kind of rough. She speaks a language that I can't even pronounce the name of. Yeah. So I'm assuming English is not something she speaks super frequently. Right. So that would kind of explain the weird sort of choppiness of these stories. Or maybe it's just bad editing by the people who compiled this, you know, the the snippets from this interview. No, I, I think you're right. She's trying to express herself. And if you lived there, you know, with your family, you would have no need to speak English if if everybody, you know, spoke uh, so stug. Yeah. whatever so yeah so the 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 gist of it is her family's been in this area for a long time they travel all around and they're well aware of sasquatch and also nantanak and that this thing is kind of something different right and they think it's a singular one that's been just alive this whole time it's been terrorizing this area for a long time you know it has this smell it's terrifying it's dangerous they all know to be aware of it and to not mess with it it used to live with humans and now it wants to stay away from them so they just you know give it a wide berth treat it with respect and who could blame him for wanting to stay away from humans mm-hmm. she's yeah describing more like an entity a mythical man creature thing that's separate from sasquatch is what mm-hmm. i'm getting so uh, let's talk about the interview, this famous interview. Now, this again, so this is going to be even more difficult because Melania doesn't speak English at all. So she's going to have her story translated by someone who doesn't speak English probably very well. And we're just going to go with it. So Melania told the reporter that the entire town evacuated Port Chatham in 1949 due to this murderous Nantanak. Her story has been perceived as being factual by authors, documentarians, and Bigfoot believers. My cousin Melania was being interviewed and we were sitting with her, Sally recalls. Okay, so this is all going to be in quotes. And this is Sally translating for Melania. My cousin Melania was being interviewed and we were sitting with her, Sally recalls. Melania kind of made up a story because she was getting tired of people asking if this story is true. She made up this story about how Bigfoot was killing people. It wasn't true. Everybody knows that. But it was not our place to say nothing. We, Which, when she says that, she's meaning anything but nothing is the quote so it's not her place to say anything about it we all knew but we couldn't just stop her we were brought up in a way where we can't tell our elders they are wrong we couldn't tell her don't say that melania because she might get mad at us we were younger than her and we were not allowed in front of her to say anything like that melania knew that we knew about her story that she made up and we all had a laugh about it with her Sally said the reason for the exodus from Port Chatham was more practical in nature. People would see Nantanak, but that wasn't the reason why people moved this way to Seldovia and Nanwalek. They moved because of the economy, schools, and the church. There really was no killing of people. 
timing also coincided with the extension of Alaska Highway Route 1 to Kenai and eventually Homer, diverting much of the traffic to the road system. Diverting traffic to the road system, meaning that they aren't using, you know, boats anymore, you know, going up the coast or going up and down rivers. So Sally believes Melania may have been implying, don't bother the area. This is where our connections are strong. Maybe she was grieving and still in pain for the lost old way that she grew up compared to how it became. This land is now owned by the Chugach Corporation. Yeah, it belongs to all of us, Sally says. That is where our culture, that's where our people lived, and there we have ties there. When we go down there, we are not looking for things. We go down because we want to feel. There's people buried there. We want to feel connected to them. Our ancestors are buried there. Part of me come from those people, and they are buried there. Are there still people searching for Bigfoot in the area? People come, and they're just jumping around, looking around for them, Sally said. So this seems to be a continuation of the uh, some portion of this interview that's being quoted by this book. Yeah. They'll never find him like that because he will run away from you. And he's fast, you know. We keep telling people, don't go looking for him, and they go and do it anyway. Something about that reminds me of Trump. We keep telling people, don't go looking for him. <laughs> well, it's convenient that this thing stinks so bad, too. Like, you know, you're walking through the woods and you smell a nasty smell. Get the fuck out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very considerate of him to Stink so not bad. use any Old Spice. <laughs> right. Or uh, what is the Sasquatch soaps? Isn't there Sasquatch soaps now? Yeah, Dr. Squatch. I've got some. Yeah, there you go. They don't believe us. He's never going to show himself like that. When you're looking for him and thinking you're going to find him, he's not hanging around waiting for people. You can chase him and chase him, and suddenly he disappears behind a tree, and when you get close enough to see him, all you see is a shimmering little mouse, shape-shifting. So that's an interesting thing to accuse Nantanak of. Yeah. They would change to different animals, make you feel sad for them. They said, don't touch them, just leave them alone. She has a word of warning for anyone who might have a mind to pull a firearm on Nantanak. And don't shoot them. You can shoot them, but you'll never kill them, she said. One man tried to do it, but he just took the bullet and pulled it out of his chest. Now, real quick, people don't understand how big these things are. They, I, I think the average person says, oh, Bigfoot, he's like seven foot tall and weighs like 300 pounds. But we're talking about huge beasts now could you imagine you're faced with the biggest silverback in the forest and you pull out a 380 or a nine or something they're just gonna laugh you <laughs> like <know>. slim shady <laughs> and i mean for real and and people say that and i know this is odd because we don't have one to examine but that they're they have a, a rib density like we i don't know how many ribs we're supposed to have like 20 22 something like that if you count no both idea. sides but these things evidently they don't have holes in between their ribs like they have it's just straight ribs everywhere and they have a huge amount of bone density in their sternum and solar plexus and that even shooting them there, it would just get stuck in the bone. It would be like, you know, having a bulletproof vest on. Your only chance is a headshot. If something is that big, you know, a bullet to the leg's going to hurt, but it's just going to piss it off. So there's that. 
and I know we have, you know, guns that can take down rhinos and elephants and stuff like that. But most people, you know, they're not carrying elephant guns around the Alaskan wilderness with them. So I asked whether or not there was any real fear among the people of going back to Port Chatham. My mom was born in Dogfish, but grew up in Port Chatham and went to school there, Sally said. Some people are scared. When we go through that area, we are careful not to make waves and be noisy. We don't want to bother it or offend it because then we might have problems. We don't know how he'll react to us, so that's why we respect it and stay away from it. We know the signs and not to chase it around. And that's pretty good advice. We respect it and stay away from it. If you do that, your interactions with wildlife will be much more pleasant than getting hit with a crane or dismembered or something like that. <laughs> Respect it. Stay away from it. So where is this Alaskan Bigfoot these days? This legend of the Nantanak didn't just start. The people of the area always knew the story, but we also knew it wasn't a bloodbath like it's being told. Uh, Bigfoot never kill anybody. If anything, he ran away. He didn't want to be around people. He's out there. He lives among us. Sally was asked if there are sightings in Nanwilek, as there have been stories that potentially Nantanak has followed the people from Port Chatham. And she replied, quote, we don't see him anymore here. We don't see any, Sally affirms. They just moved far away from people is all we know. There is a series on Discovery Plus, uh, and it's it's like Portlock Bigfoot Murders or something like that, and it's a series that seems like it really should have been like a show, you know, like an hour and a half documentary or something. I, I haven't watched the whole thing because it's so slow, but that's where I got the idea from this, and it seems to me that there could very well be Bigfoot living up there. I see no problem with that as far as, you know, the land has plenty to supply them with everything that they need. And that this murderous thing is something that they claim is separate from Bigfoot. And then also that it's all made up. You know, if Bigfoot's going to be anywhere, then rural Alaska seems like a great spot. But I, I don't believe that it was a Bigfoot creature that, you know, allegedly killed and dismembered these bodies, if that even happened. But I also don't think that there was a, like a real demon, like they kind of think the, how they describe the Nantanak, you know, like it's a devil and it kind of looks like a Bigfoot, but it's, it's demonic. So in my opinion, if there really were all these bodies, who knows? I mean, some of, you know, they talked about going to look for gold. Well, guess what? If you're a thousand miles from, well, not a thousand miles. If you're 200 miles from the nearest police station and somebody who nobody knows is out there happens to find gold, eh, sometimes bad things happen to those people. And I think it's more likely that it was a serial killer, you know, a human serial killer or people who were killing people to get their resources, either their traps or gold or, or whatever, you know, was out there. So that's that's where I stand on it. What do you think? I think I agree. 
I've never really heard of any other instance where Bigfoot was. I mean, there there are instances of them scaring right. people, like throwing rocks, banging on stuff, rattling doorknobs. Like there, there are all kinds of stories, but not of them like systematically going in and like taking people out. Mm-hmm. I mean, maybe it's a mix of things. Maybe people were being attacked by bears or whatever, and maybe people were seeing some kind of Sasquatch. It could be a combination of factors. Mm-hmm. Or like you said, it could be like a, I mean, this isn't exactly what you implied, but it could be like a Scooby-Doo mystery where somebody found something that they're trying to protect. So they're trying to freak people out Yeah, by dressing up like, like Sasquatch or whatever. And it's just mixing with all the other weird things that are going on. And it just scared people. There's also, you know, stories uh, that I've seen mostly in the Pacific Northwest of basically, for lack of a better term, medicine men would take a vow of I'm going to be away from humanity completely for like two years. And they go live in the woods and, you know, obviously they're going to have to wear animal skins or, or whatever, you know, to survive. I don't think that a medicine man is going to, you know, come and murder and dismember people, but that's also a possibility. So it it could have been a combination of 10 things or it could all be made up, which would be unfortunate. Yeah. And I think the, uh, I'm thinking about stuff that I've seen on discovery plus there's one called, a, I think, Alaskan Killer Bigfoot. That's the one I'm talking about. Yeah. Is that yeah, it? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think Kim was watching that a while back. I might have to check it out now. Well, I mean, like, I, I watched the first episode, <laughs> and it's like, you know, how are we going to get there? How are we going to set up our tent? And they're like, don't go over, you know, 50 yards in that field. Set it up over here. The Nantanak could come right out and grab you. And it's just, it, it's, if it's real the first episode of the show does a great job of making me not care because it's just so (laughs) mundane shit. And, you know, in this day and age of, you know, instant gratification, I I don't have time to watch seven episodes on something that we're covering in an hour and finding out that there's a good chance it's all made up anyway. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's all we've got for you tonight on Cryptique. When you share Cryptique on your favorite social media site, it really, really moves the needle for us. So take a second to share. We'd do it for you. Click the Parabox link in the show notes to find out how you can help the show while getting awesome t-shirts with a mystery attached. Don't forget to check out MovieHowl and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. Stay tuned for the after party to learn about the Catman of Scotland. Good evening, Crypt Keepers. Hey, Crypt Keepers, I want to tell you about our exciting new affiliation with Parabox. Parabox is a t-shirt subscription box with a twist. Each month, you will receive a new paranormal soft style tee and info card about that month's theme. The shirt and card will contain clues to finding a hidden password for use on their website. You'll also find clues to next month's theme. Correct entries get entered in a raffle for free gear. The shirts are unique. They're pretty dope with designs about all your favorite paranormal stuff like Black Eyed Kids, Bigfoot, Nazca Lines, and a really cool Battle of Los Angeles tee. 
That's one I'm hoping I will get here sometime soon. The designs are silk screened onto a soft style tee that's super comfortable. From the moment you open your pair box, you'll be so engrossed by the t-shirt, you'll forget there's a puzzle built into it. That's right, each shirt contains a secret password. It can be in the form of codes, ciphers, riddles, numbers, images, or other hidden gems. Have fun exploring the design and putting the pieces together to figure out where to go next. Get your exclusive link in the show notes, and we get a little kickback when you sign up for the box, so you can support the show while getting cool swag with mysteries in the process. Welcome to the After Party. <laughs> Which urban legends are true? The urban legend relating to the existence of Catman. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm sorry. I, I've already lost it. <laughs> I was in a hurry. I was in a hurry to add an after party. Okay, so no, I just that's no, it's great. I, like I just it. like in, that you stated it. The urban legend related yeah. to the existence of Catman, of course. Yeah, duh. Who hasn't heard of Catman and his fantastic feats? Yes. In the small town of Greenock, Scotland, or Greenock, maybe because Scottish people pronounce things in inexplicable ways. Yeah. As somebody who's met Scottish people in real life here in the States. It's not Scottish. Uh, there's, a, <laughs> yeah. there's a story relating to a man who lives in the sewers of the town and survives by eating rats. All right, this cat man's turning out less cool than I thought already. It is also believed that he has glowing eyes and comes out only at night to hunt any rats. Okay, he's redeeming himself slightly. There are many stories which try to explain as to who the Catman actually is. Some stories explain him to be a Russian spy who got lost in Scotland in the 70s and was stranded there, hence having no other option but to stay underground and feed on what was available. Now, hold on a second. Um, so, you know, there's all this stuff out that's trying to make Russians look totally stupid and that they can't you know accomplish anything or whatever but you know we see like fbi cia and stuff like that and and they're kind of branded as being you know just super smart super physically you know gifted and and just you know like macgyver type people just like you know the the cream of the cream or the cream of the crop or whatever and it's just kind of funny to be like oh yeah, this Russian spy, he got lost in Scotland. He was like, I, I can't find my way out of this small Scottish town. I have no choice but to go eat rats. That seems like a, a you know, like a bad spy. Like, you don't think this guy was, yeah. like, getting the top cases, right? They're like, Val, you must go check out the sewers in Scotland to find out if they are making uh, the weapons in the sewers. And uh, go ahead and eat some rats, too. Let us know how they taste. Come back to us if you can find your way out. Maybe he just likes rats. Could be. I mean, we've all seen the documentary film Pulp Fiction. Mm -hmm. Rats may taste like pumpkin pie. Never know. Right? I doubt it. I, I have my doubts. Other stories mention him as a mentally disabled man who escaped from the mental asylum and lived in the forests to stay away from people to avoid going back to the asylum. Another story explains him to be a man who was beaten mercilessly by the mob and had his legs broken. He crawled throughout the city and survived by eating rats. There was no proof relating to the existence of Catman until the end of 2000. 
A video was circulated on the internet which proved the existence of Catman. And when we say proved, we're using that term extremely loosely. So just take that into account. (sighs) Newspapers tried to solve this mystery by trying to find the Catman and trying to communicate with him. Many newspapers reported that the people of Greenock would not speak anything about him. Maybe because he was solving a rat problem. They don't want anybody messing with him. What do you think about Catman? I think that it's total urban legend bullshit. But yeah. I I think that the chances that if it is real or if he is real, him being a Russian spy is ridiculous unless there was some kind of like major head trauma or something that you know caused him to revert to a you know a childlike or almost animalistic state because a a spy is not going to get lost and it's so bizarre that they would even suggest that but um i i could see a mentally disabled man who escaped from an asylum and i don't think it would be someone couldn't pay off a loan and had his legs broken and then he's like okay well i guess i have to not get these fixed and drag my body around the sewers and eat rats now i mean it's all preposterous to me but it's a fun little story for the after party what do you think about Catman? yeah i think it's a fun story i've been trying to find the video hmm that they're talking about but everything I, I found is just looks like jokes yeah tons of pictures of like guys with like I don't know grease or paint or something on them so they look like they're like black with like soot and grime from the sewer yeah. like jet black yeah with like a stuffed rat in their mouth nice <laughs> and there's a lot of them they're doing like a thumbs up right so I don't think I found the official video Pumpkin that high. proves anything <laughs> yeah like this is good stuff you want some? Was some rat jerky? Oh, gosh. You gotta live on what you gotta live on. Mm-hmm. Well, that's it for the after party. We hope you enjoyed the show. Click that Parabox link and post us on your favorite social media sites. And don't forget to check out the Facebook page. Pleasant dreams. Watch out for the cat, man. <laughs>